everybody, and welcome to the Weekend Review edition of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line is a man with the English accent, which means he can talk soccer. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Well, hello, Taylor. What a <laughs> privilege to be here. What, what, what? <laughs> First of all, I appreciate you playing that one up. That is actually how Ryan sounds normally. He tones it down for the show, but that he takes off the monocle, I think, before we start recording. But generally speaking, that's how he sounds. Yes, I do my terribly uncouth accent for the podcast normally, but uh, we shall switch over shortly. Here, here. Do you actually get that sometimes? Like, do you do people just assume you're all about soccer? Does it does it make you sad when people come up to you, hear the accent, and ask like, which team do you support? Um, it's a safe assumption, I suppose, but right. I don't get offended by that. But I get offended by most people thinking I'm Australian. Uh, I think ninety percent <laughs> of people think I'm from Australia when when they meet me in this country. It's strange. I think it's because they expect me to speak like the Queen, and I don't. All right, and then one more question. Is this about how the usual... We're going to like do a role play here. Is this about how the conversation Ooh. usually goes? Like, oh, you're English. Which team do you support? Oh, yeah. And then I say, Wimbledon. And, and they, they go, say, oh, oh, yeah. No, they go, which Premier League team do you support? And I say, <laughs> I support Wimbledon. We were in the Premier League. We're not anymore. And then they say, no, no, no. You don't understand me. Which Premier League team is your team? And it goes around like that for maybe six or seven minutes before I walk away. <laughs> and then you just slowly fade into the bushes, a la Homer Simpson. <laughs> exactly. I like, it. I like that approach. I like that approach. Indubitably. Well, we will start with the English Premier League, as we are wont to do. Uh, we're going to start with Chelsea's uh, one no loss uh, at home to Bournemouth. Uh, Ryan, where are your thumbs for this game? I've got a few thumbs. Let me start mm. up with a nice thumbs up for Chelsea All right. for keeping... A festive tradition maintained. You know, there's a lot of traditions around this time. And one of Chelsea's is their annual loss to Bournemouth. So well done for that, because the past two Januaries, they have done the same thing. And they've done it here again, a little prematurely, just before Christmas for us here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only, that's about the only thumbs up I'm going to give Chelsea, because otherwise, a little bit of a mess in this game, were they not? They absolutely were. And I think it was exemplified by, as uh, people have already pointed out, uh, the, the center backs looking long every single time or looking lateral. It was a lot of strange passing combinations and like long direct, like route one direct sort of balls over the top. Not a lot of quick passing, not a lot of kind of what we have seen Frank Lampard's teams do, or at least this Chelsea team do somewhat well this season. In this case, uh, very much less so, which leads, leads to kind of a faltering attack, which leads to Chelsea losing. It does indeed. Their fourth loss in five Premier League games, starting to a pattern is emerging here, Taylor. And it, it was just a bit toothless in in many ways, wasn't it? There was sort of no ideas up top. Uh, Tammy Abraham wasn't getting much service. It seemed that the midfield wasn't up to much. Willian and Christian Pulisic couldn't quite uh, get through like they usually do as well. I mean, they, Chelsea had 67% possession this game, in this game. They had 13 attempts on goal. They had five on target and they didn't get one past Bournemouth. Bournemouth, who are we can label them as a troubled team this mm-hmm. season and they managed to get yet another result at Stamford Bridge. It's, it's a very odd situation here and I'm starting to wonder if this team isn't built for the top four for the long term, Taylor. It seems like maybe they had a big old new manager bounce and maybe they need a little bit more backbone to, to, to go over the line here. So would the idea then be that it's basically like you've got a bunch of kids who haven't been given the opportunities, they've been loaned out, you've got a newcomer in the form of Christian Pulisic coming in, that maybe they all finally have a chance, they're all kind of raised their their game, they perform collectively very, very well, but at a certain point, fixtures catch up with you, the wear of the season catches up with you, the lack of reinvestment or investment at all uh, in the summer catches up with you, and now maybe there's been a downturn in form? Yeah, I think that, and also maybe a bit of a, a, a contribution from Frank Lampard here, or lack thereof. I don't think he, uh, when you know, I don't think they tried much, didn't try to change much mm-hmm. 
in this game, did they? It was. It didn't seem like Lampard had many ideas to to, to get to get things going, and also. Was it just me, or did things seem a little bit more negative? A few more sideways passes, like mm-hmm. em- Emerson didn't. You know, it seemed like a lot of passes back to Zuma. It seemed like a lot, nothing going forward. Where, whereas they've been a bit more positive in previous games. Is that just me, or was no? That, it's a, that? it's definitely not you. I, it, it, this felt like I think every now and then when you have a new sort of style, a new sort of system being implemented, even when it's de- December and the manager in uh, in question has been in charge since August. When you start to have those games or like that one game when maybe those runs into space or people dropping in, those stop happening. And you could see the frustration to your point that you could yeah. see people kind of looking for, for options and they just weren't there. And you'd get a lot of like hands up while the player had the ball in that sort of like, OK, is anybody going to run? And so I think as soon as that ha- didn't happen once or twice – they reverted to the kind of lateral, sideways passing, slowing it down. And I think that did frustrate Frank Lampard. He talked about that after the game. But I think yeah. it's also sort of what has been like like beaten into them over the last like six managers at Chelsea. I believe that's how many they've had in like three seasons. Um, <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes a toll. And I think you have to kind of stick with it and find your way through that. I do think uh, it being almost January uh, helps Chelsea tremendously because their uh, transfer ban has been reduced. So they will be able to sign players this January. Is that something you think they should do, Ryan, or should they stick with the squad as they have it now, see what the what these players are capable of doing for the second half of the season, and then invest once you know your vulnerabilities for sure? Or do you think with top four uh, still being a possibility, you invest in January to try to make something happen now? I think the latter, and the latter would be a very Chelsea move as well, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? And I, when when uh, I think on the running order here, you put where should they invest? Mm-hmm. I, my immediate thought was up top, because I think Tammy Abraham looks like he needs a bit of a rest looks like he could certainly use some support maybe some um, an on alternate up there but then he only had 29 touches in this mm-hmm. game taylor and that's that speaks to me about the service he's getting and someone maybe i'm a little bit worried about the midfield as well but then where do you where mm-hmm. do you change that midfield because there's, there's a lot of good bodies in there as well i can't quite figure it out so to answer your question, I have no idea, but I well, thought it, I thought it was to, to, to get a striker, maybe the priority. I, I think I think you've 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 gotten there in that like you never want to blame the striker entirely when the goals stop coming or when the goals aren't as regular because very often it's not that the striker just like suddenly isn't good anymore. It's a lack of service or the attack has changed or any number of uh, factors. But I do think you've got a point there with fatigue and how much he, Timmy Abraham has been used because yeah. when uh, uh, Lampard say, plays, say, Olivier Giroud, it just doesn't work. It, it clearly isn't the style of striker he wants. Bachoy hasn't really hit the ground running for Lampard either. So I do think you're right that maybe looking for a depth option or a player that you could bring in for relatively cheap and then have them sort of augment Abraham or help Abraham along and then still expel him some minutes. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I do also think that you're right, that you've got to look at the midfield. Kovacic was the player you signed because that was the only player you could sign in the summer because he had previously been on loan with an option to buy. But does that really like kind of strengthen the squad enough? The center backs, as we've already talked about, weren't particularly strong on the weekend. So do you look for a ball-playing center back? I, I don't think Chelsea fans would be too sad to see another striking option brought in and maybe to see another center back brought in who can play the ball out of the back. That would be my answer. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's that's probably the two positions. Um, and those centre backs, they might be they might be thinking ahead to that Bayern Munich game in the Champions League draw, mm-hmm. which we'll probably talk about later. And thinking about those centre backs up against your Lewandowski's and your Gnabry's and your Goretzka's, and thinking, ooh, that's yeah. a tricky matchup, isn't it? Yeah. Let's get David Luiz back in there. Let's just get him back in Chelsea. Let's just keep bringing him back in every other every like couple seasons. We'll get him back at Chelsea and see what happens. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely need to bring back Didier Drogba and put him in central defence. That would be fun with this solution for that Champions League game anyway. But can I give a thumbs up to VAR you in may. this game, Taylor? Because I've been a very vocal critic of mm-hmm. the new technology on this podcast. Uh, make no, uh, I make no secret about that. But I thought this is where it's meant to be used because in in years gone by, that goal would have been absolutely ruled out. They would have said it never crossed the line. They would have said it, you know, mm. uh, they would have said that was, you know, offside and, and wouldn't wouldn't um, wouldn't have been given. And this is this is why we have it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because you're absolutely right that the flag goes up. I'm actually even surprised the flag went up as quickly as it did because it was marginal. From my understanding, they're supposed to let those go. Uh, they did not, but luckily the ball I think goes in before the whistle is blown by the center official, so that it can be reviewed. And when it's reviewed. It is absolutely a goal, both because it crosses the line and because uh, Gosling was on side. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think even though maybe there was a tiny bit of human error there briefly, uh, I think this is exactly what it's meant to be used for because it's absolutely correct that uh, Gosling times his run really really well. He spots that the Chelsea backline haven't really stepped out and uh, mass, so there's a, it's more of a ragged uh, offside line than it is an actual line. And I think correctly drops in, finds space, scores a lovely goal. VAR says it's good, so well done VAR. My question mm. for you then, Ryan, is does he mean to do that? Because I feel like he definitely means to score this goal. But it's so strange looking the way he sort of lofts it while not facing goal that it does seem a little bit lucky. But I'm assuming he knew what he was doing. He meant to put the ball in the direction of the goal. All right. Is that what helps? <laughs> I mean, I think we should give full credit to Braun here and full mm. credit to, to Golsing as well because he, 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 he was probably their best player. I mean, Lerma and Billing in, in the midfield were very good as well. But... You know, he's he's grown so much. Gosling has grown so much as a player. If he grows any more, he's going to become a goose. <laughs> you like that? Like that one? Thank you very much. I can't believe how much I like that one. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just that I'm, I'm, I'm so used to Daryl's, like, delivery of the pun that when you just rush right through it, it doesn't – it hits, like, all at once and maybe lands that much more. But well done, Ryan Bailey. I, I enjoy Slower delivery. Much. Note taken. Thank you. <laughs> Um, any other things you would like to talk about when it comes to Chelsea v Bournemouth, aside from well done Bournemouth and commiserations to Chelsea? I think we've given that one justice. Should we move on? We shall. We shall. Let's move on to Arsenal Man City. Arsenal hosting Man City. Uh, City go up 3-0. Could have been a lot worse, but it finishes that way as well. Um, and I'm going to say this was, uh, as we've talked about previously, I think a a game of one team were very bad and got it very wrong, and one team mm. were their usual selves, which maybe they haven't met as much this week, this season. But Man City come out, as we've seen Man City come out, uh, very aggressive, very uh, like probing passes, lots of movement off the ball, and lots of great finishing. Arsenal not really pressing, not really sitting deep, not really trying to play out of the back, not really trying to go long, not entirely certain what Arsenal were hoping for in this game. Uh, but with that said, it didn't really matter because when you have a player like Kevin De Bruyne in the form he's in, uh, it doesn't really matter. And I will say thumbs up to him for that on-field performance. I'm going to say thumbs down to his mustache-beard combo that he's got going on. It's not a great look. We're past uh, Movember, so he can shave <laughs> if he wants to. But aside from his horrific facial hair, uh, a tremendous performance from Kevin De Bruyne. Absolutely. I, I hadn't actually noticed the facial hair thing until mm-hmm. uh, until you mentioned it. And I had a look on Getty Images and I've done some close-ups. And you are right. It's bad. It's like, a, I think it's like Chili's manager facial hair. <laughs> I think it's like the guy who sells the cell phone covers in the stall in the middle of the mall facial hair. That's what he's got going on there, isn't it? <laughs> It's um, it's it's an interesting look because of the you almost made me cackle there. Uh, because I think the pink skin combined with the ginger hair, it's just a strange look yeah. to begin with, and and it looks 
like a small child putting on like uh like like fake a fake beard to try to buy beer or something like that. It just it doesn't look right. It looks sort of like why is that tiny child taking hormones to grow facial hair? Can't he just wait until he grows it naturally? But I guess Kevin De Bruyne has gone the route he's gone, and when you're as good as he is, maybe you're allowed to do whatever you want. Maybe that's what this is. It's just he's gotten so good that he's he's just sort of like trying to do different things that would otherwise be laughable. <laughs> yeah, I think he can get away with the kind of performance he put in in this game. Um, near perfect, wasn't it? My fantasy team thanks him very much. Um, but I think I've been critical of Pep doing the four-two-three-one because I think four-three-three is naturally where it should be, and Fernandinho should be in the defensive midfield. Blah blah blah. The same thing I say every week. But it worked here, didn't it? I think because De Bruyne was put in that number ten role, he was he was freer to to get forward and, and support Jesus and Rodrigo and Gundogan were sort of gave him that cover in that double pivot which I thought hasn't worked in the past but did work here and perhaps the reason it didn't work is because Arsenal were absolutely useless in this game because <laughs> they they off as you say they offered very little in this one didn't they the Chinese government I don't know if you read they mm. they blocked this game from their state TV channel because of comments made by Meza Ozil and I think the Chinese government did Arsenal a favor there to be honest this was pretty sad to see for everyone around the world I think and City for once, didn't have to worry about any potential defensive shortcomings they had because it was just men against boys, wasn't it? It it absolutely was. And it was a game that I really wanted Arsenal to do better, not because I dislike Man City or particularly enjoy Arsenal, but it's actually for what you just mentioned there. I thought it was a credit to Mesut Ozil, who at times has spoken out against uh, or spoken out in favor of politicians who I'm not a big fan of, looking in the direction of uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, but on this occasion, uh, mentioning the treatment of the Uyghurs and how uh, oppressed they have been and everything that is horrifically going on there in China, I think it's to his credit to kind of use his platform to kind of spread awareness of a situation but simultaneously I think Arsenal then being like we, we don't agree with them at all please don't ban us yeah. is definitely a sign of where the commercialism of, of, of soccer has gone that they definitely were not willing to kind of go with them and so I had hoped then that it was going to be this like Mesut Ozil takes the game of the scruff of the neck which is not really his style so already I think I'm kind of uh, on a fool's journey here uh, but like I wanted it to be a game where he kind of elevates his performance and then not only is he speaking you know truth to power but also so then performing well on the field, and instead he slowly walks off and then kicks a water bottle uh, a la Arsene Wenger. And it really wasn't the way I kind of hoped that game was going to play out, at least for him. Yeah, if you've given him credit for his political stance, you certainly detract from that from his his uh, position on the field because he was he he offered nothing no. in this game. There's a nice line in the Guardian's match report that said the cleanest connection he made on anything was when he booted away his gloves upon his substitution. I was gloves, yeah. excuse me, not a water bottle, not the water yes. bottle. He didn't Same go full Wenger. He just went a little Wenger with the. Uh, I mean, yeah, for a guy who does keep ups with his chewing gum, you think gloves is a bit more of a, an attainable target for him. Yes, um, you would. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was also just a strange game. I kind of just have like thumbs down to Arsenal in general and then them as an organization as well because there were moments when I wanted to kind of criticize the fans for leaving when they did. To their credit, uh, several fans, I shouldn't say many, but a lot of fans stuck around until really it seemed like this this one was done and dusted. Uh, and, mean, and, like 15 minutes. 
I mean, you had a few leave, and that's when I was sort of like, come on, like, you don't know how this is going to go. Like, you've paid good money. Why not stick around? And then I think around halftime, I was like, all right, maybe I get it. I, I understand it a little <laughs> bit more. That's that's fair. But it was it was that. It was the uh, the Kolasinac substitution that seems to have thrown everything uh, out of order because Kolasinac is down injured. He's getting treatment. Then he uh, pops up, walks off the field. Saka is supposed to sub on, but I think Kolasinac, the idea was we'll kind of suck up some time, wait for uh, Saka to get ready, and then once he's stripped down from his 14,000 layers of clothing he has on, we can sub them in right away, whereas Kolasinac, I think, gets up, walks off, so they have to rush the substitution. Saka's not ready, and I think that's where the third goal happens is when Arsenal are down to 10 men. So you've got confusion there. You've got confusion with Ozil. You've got just sort of confusion all over the place and, and an inability to, as I said in the introduction, like sort of do any one game plan in any convincing way so that you see what they're trying to do. You see where the progress is coming from. Instead, this one finishes 3-0, and it could have been a lot worse. And you almost come away with the idea that, like, whew, Arsenal were kind of fortunate not to lose that one 5 or 6 now. Yeah, they Man City kind of Germany versus Brazil did it in the second mm-hmm. half, didn't they? They certainly, they, they were only in third gear. I think they dropped it to second for the, for the second <laughs> half. But, I mean, I, I will back up and fortify your point of the thumbs down to Arsenal as an organization. But also, on the field, you look at those three goals, like... For the first one, when De Bruyne puts it a very nice sort of hut, mm-hmm. it's a volley, isn't it, into the into the top of the net. There's no one within six yards of him when nope. he's there, when the ball's cut back to him by Gabriel Jesus. The second goal, I mean, it's a nice, uh, you know, it's, it's, De Bruyne's got three men around him. He beats three men. I mean, you can say that's a quality of De Bruyne or a, a shortfall of those three men who were beaten by him, and he picks out Sterling for that finish. Kolasinac is in complete no man's land when that goal goes in. I don't know what he's doing there. And, 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 and the third goal, we've got... Ganduzi mm-hmm. doesn't lay a glove on De Bruyne. De Bruyne could do whatever he wanted in this game. He absolutely dominated me. I don't know what Ganduzi or Torreira were doing in this match because he was just allowed to do what he wants. So I think very, very poor on the field, but also off the field. Yeah. I think it's important to make the point that let's compare it to Tottenham. They sacked Maurizio Pochettino. The next day, Jose Mourinho arrives to great fanfare. Arsenal, they sacked their manager. No plan. Not even any support for Frederick Lundberg, yep. who's got Per Mertesacker, who's the academy manager at the moment, getting him on double duty and basically getting them to work on a game-by-game basis. They're not going to bring in anyone new until... It's kind of... They're in this weird holding pattern with yes. Lundberg, who well, you've got to feel sorry for him because he's not getting much support here and he's, you know, it doesn't look like there's much long-term future for him. And it's damning of... Of Arsenal's organization, the way they've set this up. It absolutely is, because I saw that quote from him after this game uh, in The Guardian. I, I saw him talking about, like, um, you know, I, I I need them to make a decision. They've got to, If it's not me, that's fine, but there needs to be a decision made. And I was sort of like, really, dude? Like, I think you've won one in five? Like, you, you really want to try to press this issue? You read the article, <laughs> you kind of think back on things. And yeah, to your point, Per Mertesacker is his, what, only coach? Because all of the f- other coaches left with Unai Emery. Yeah. And Per Mertesacker doing double duty. He is not a first-team coach. He's He's supposed to be the academy director, but he's trying to do both. And I think to Lundberg's point, it's sort of is like we can't call people up from from the youth teams because their coaches don't want to risk them coming up and not being played and it shattering their confidence. But I don't have the backing of the club to be able to make that decision. So I kind of can't call up players. I can't appoint coaches. No one knows entirely the permanence or lack of permanence that of the situation. And I think to your point about Tottenham. 
like Ar- Arsenal, I think they went this route of like, no, we don't want to rush to a decision. We want to be smart. You know, too often teams make these sort of uh, reflex decisions, and we don't want to do that. And I get that idea, and that's a, that's a good way to be is to slow it down and make a rational choice. But then when there's no follow through and there's no sort of progress on top of that. It suddenly goes from like, okay, they're taking their time to make a choice and instead is a, oh, they don't really know what to do and so they're just sort of sitting there hoping something happens. And that's a big, big difference between they know what they're trying to do, they know who they want to interview. Uh, I think Football Weekly made this point and I appreciated it that like you look at the people they're supposedly linked with and it's Ralph Rangnick, it's Mikel Arteta, uh, I think uh, what like Ancelotti has supposedly been in there but has since been ruled out, Allegri was in there and it's just like none of those play- managers have anything in common. And if you don't have anything in common with the person who's supposed to be taking over to me that says they don't really know who they're looking for they just know they need a manager and it's probably not going to be Lundberg but they don't feel confident saying that yet so instead the kind of show rolls on and it's not a particularly good show anymore uh, especially for Arsenal fans now if if I'd have taken that last minute of your speaking out of context you could have been talking about Man United there well there's that too To be fair. Yeah, but uh, we don't really need to talk about them. We talk about them <laughs> plenty. Uh, but it's yeah. a credit to Man City who, after after not having the best run of form, come out, smash Arsenal, and then Pep Guardiola does Pep Guardiola things after the match saying, I think they're like, oh, you, you read the ship? That was that was a much better performance. And he was sort of like, no, like we play better against Manchester United. And I feel like he was trying to say, like, he was trying to do the thing where he doesn't let his players get too arrogant, but whatever. But instead, it definitely came across as like, no, Arsenal aren't that good. Like, it, it definitely was a... Was a, uh, a more of a bummer, I think, for Arsenal fans to, to hear than uh, than the game itself may have been. Yeah, compounding their misery there. So to conclude, Man City good, Arsenal bad. Tune in next week to see if that's still the case. It yeah. might not be. It probably will be. Uh, but until next week, we should talk about today's sponsor. It's SeatGeek. Uh, SeatGeek make buying and selling uh, tickets to concerts, events, all different types of live shows uh, that much easier. A quick look at the App Store shows you they have 50,000 five-star reviews. So you know uh, they've got a lot of satisfied customers who are, have enjoyed using their services to buy and sell tickets to all of the many live events they could go see. SeatGeek pulls in millions mm-hmm. of tickets from all over the web. Millions, I tell you. And they rate them each on a deal scale of 1 to 10 and also like a traffic light system. Green is a good deal. Red, bad deal. Don't touch those ones. That's what I really like about SeatGeek. It's really easy to use. And you've got that interactive seat map that lets you pick your seat out and find the best value on. Not necessarily the best or most expensive, sorry, the most expensive seat, mm-hmm. but the best value, which is really good. Uh, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for your tickets with confidence. And if there's one thing I want to do with my tickets, Taylor, it's Shop for them with confidence. (laughs) I mean, I think that is a fair thing to want to do, my friend. Um, I think what I can be confident in is looking at using SeatGeek as a way to buy tickets to uh, basically seasons that are over for certain teams that would have once been very, very expensive tickets are now Uh. not. So, for example, the Washington professional football team hosting the New York Giants this coming weekend. uh, I believe you can find tickets for $9. So if you use the promo code I'm going to give you later on, uh, I believe you could make $1 and still go see the Washington professional football team. But tickets are up to $16. I think you can find those incredibly cheaply. Uh, Similar for the Washington Wizards. Uh, I think most of their home games, uh, for example, Chicago Bulls coming to Washington on December 18th, that would be $13. Uh, you've, You've got a few different ones like that, exemplified by when the Wizards go to the the Knicks when they're playing in New York, those are $105 tickets. When the Knicks come to D.C., they're $30 tickets. So wow. maybe a sign of the way uh, uh, I think things have gone in Washington since the Nats win. Yeah, I think um, 
if if uh, if you look at those Washington NFL tickets, uh, the nine dollar ones, they're actually given a red. Uh, they're 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 bad value. They should be paying you nine dollars, right? <laughs> I see what you did, and I like it. Uh, I also like that SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code, download the SeatGeek app today, and use promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, A link to that uh, offer will be in the show notes. Uh, But for now, Ryan Bailey, we've got El Clasico midweek this week. Let's talk Mm. a little bit about how things are in La Liga, where Barcelona remain top of the table, though I did not think that was going to be the case after they drew uh, two all with uh, Real Sociedad uh, on Saturday, but then Madrid drawing one-to-one in their game on Sunday with, I believe, Valencia. That means the table stays as it was. Let's focus on Sociedad Barcelona. Where have you got thumbs in this game? I got thumbs for Sociedad, of course. They were they were yep. pretty impressive this one, weren't they? They, mm-hmm. they, they, they were pressing really well. They, they were very technical. The passing was lovely. I love how Real Sociedad are like the island of misfit toys. They've got Nacho Monreal, they've got yep. Martin Odegaard, they've got uh, Ad- Adnan Zianazai. It's like, oh, yep. I remember him from previous instances. This is fun, isn't it? And they all came together very well. And I have to say, um, I-, I know I mentioned the betting column that I do uh, quite frequently uh, on this podcast, but I absolutely called a 2-2 draw in this game. Now, why did you back. call that? How did you know? What did, what did you think was going to take place? I just looked in the crystal ball, and that's what it oh, told me. Of course, I can't course. control it. I can't control. It. Well, no, I, I, the reason was because Real Sociedad are basically Barcelona's bogey team. They don't like coming to the Real Arena. Um, the last time they were beaten there was actually, to be fair, it was 2016. But that was the fifth consecutive time they'd lost there. Yes, Barcelona lost to uh, David Moyes' Real Sociedad. You remember that one? That was sort of the peak uh, David wow. Moyes uh, of his time in Spain. And, you know, Sociedad, they're a good team this season. They're, you know, they're, they're in fourth. They, they've already beaten Atletico Madrid 2-0 at home. They'd only failed to score in one of their last 13 league games. So I thought, this is this is where Barcelona stumbled. This is where the, the cracks in the Valverde team start to appear once again. And hey-ho, what do you know? It happened. <laughs> Aren't I amazing, baby? Um I, I enjoyed this game because it was a little bit of like lunacy and in, in a confusing way and in a good way at the same time because you had moments for Barcelona when they would – they had one where I think they start with a goal kick, they play it out of the back, they come under pressure because Sociedad were doing a very good job of, of pressuring to make Barcelona uncomfortable, but they play out of it, they play through it, they move the ball around, they complete – it must have been 40 passes in like a mm. six-minute span. They keep possession – but they really never end up doing anything with it. They just build and build and build and build and build. And then I think they end up shooting from distance, maybe, or the pass gets intercepted. Sociedad go the other way. But then you look at their goals, and it's essentially smash and grab route one. And I kind of love it that the first goal, um, it is just a ball over the top for Griezmann to run onto. Uh, it's very similar to the goal he scored last week, the kind of getting on the end of it, outrunning the defense, and then a lovely little chip. The second goal, another ball over the top, with Sociedad having a, a very suspect back line that allows uh, Lionel Messi to stay onside. More on that in just a second. But it was sort of Barcelona having this like, no, we're going to pass. We're going to stay true to our idea. Okay, you know what? Just kick it long, and we'll see what happens. We've got probably better players, and that's exactly how it went down. So it was a combination of of approaches for Barcelona that I found uh, really interesting and genuinely enjoyable because it would be very pretty soccer. And then, you know what, let's go long and see. 
Yeah, I, I like it when teams mix it up like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was impressive, and obviously the controversy in this game came from the penalty being given right. uh, to Sociedad for the first goal for the uh, for the shirt grab. Uh, it was it was Busquets, wasn't it, or was it mm-hmm. a, a, a shovey a shovey shirt grab? Should we call it? It was a shovey shirt grab. Yep, a shovey shirt grab. And then in the in the dying minutes, Barcelona feeling robbed because a similar situation happening at the other mm-hmm. end with I think it was PK having his shirt pulled. So there's a bit of a discrepancy there, but. Can I ask you, this is another episode of Ryan not understanding the rules of soccer anymore, mm-hmm. but for, for Suarez's goal, Barcelona's second goal, yeah. why wasn't he offside? Because he was miles offside, he tracked back a little bit, but he didn't come back onside at all. Yet he joined he joined in the play and got the pass from Leo Messi, put it in the back of the net, but he never got back onside at any point. Am I? Is this where you just go, you're an idiot, that's still onside? Or was I? Was that not glaring... So you're talking about the fact that basically when Messi is played in, Suarez stays offside and then he never yeah. like sprints backwards and then continues his run forward. He never, yeah, he never returns yeah. to go onside again. Basically, he uh, never jogs back. He kind of he's, he's he's a bit stationary. Maybe takes a couple of steps back, yeah. but doesn't. He still remains very much offside. This one, this one gets uh, Daryl a lot of the time as well. Uh, he will disagree with that, but he's lying. It definitely, it definitely <laughs> does. Um, and and sometimes it gets me too. But I think it's just that because Suarez recognizes what's going to happen, and he knows that Messi is going to drive forward with the ball and then go for the. I think I've called it before on the show, the FIFA goal, where you pull the goalkeeper out, you slide it to your open forward, you tap it home, you mm-hmm. make sure you. Don't don't hit square so you don't lob the goal uh but you just pass it in nice and gentle so i think he knows he suarez knows that's what's going to happen here so he just kind of holds his positioning and trusts Lionel messi to advance the ball far enough that then when he plays it it is lateral or suarez is then slightly behind the play but it still does feel very strange and kind of wrong in terms of the rules because he's offside the whole way yeah. that when messi plays him in even if he is then onside because Messi has advanced the ball up the field, it still feels like within the spirit of the game, he should be offside because he was in an offside position when the entire play began, but that's not how the rules go, so I guess the goal is given, but it does still feel weird. I, I take your point there for sure. It, it definitely feels real weird, and it feels like that, that rule is just wrong because the rationale for him being offside to start, you know, he, they, well, onside, sorry, is that he's not interfering with play, right? Right. But I feel like he is interfering with play when he scores the goal. <laughs> I think that's a big interference. <laughs> it's like the biggest interference you could do. And I'm not one. You know, we're not going to go accuse Luis Suarez of cheating here. God forbid. No, he's, never, he's a very, never. very honest man. Of course not. But I think that I don't. I, I'm just not very satisfied with how that played out, even if it is on the uh, on the money in terms of the rules. So we should maybe it's one of those where like it's technically correct, which is the best uh, way to be correct, but yeah. at the same time feels like it's wrong. Feels like he maybe should have been offside. Yeah, and that makes me feel better about the the penalty not being given to Barcelona at the end. It feels like a karmic payoff of some some sorts. I like that. Uh, I did not like the defending from uh, Llorente for Sociedad, who does not have a first name. uh, Or if he does, he has one of a series of names. He goes by Llorente, so I'm going to stick with that. He is the one who draws the penalty uh, that gives Sociedad the lead. But then I'm going to say is sort of at fault for both goals, uh, especially the first one, which is basically just kind of a hopeful ball out of the back from Barcelona. Again, they go a bit more direct. And I think Llorente is so focused on not letting Suarez collect the ball and be that link-up option that he tries to step in front and win the ball. Basically not even win it, but sort of it's doing. It's going to like bounce in, hop up, and he's just going to try to like get a body on it and make sure Barcelona aren't able to play cleanly out. But instead he misjudges, he over-pursues, the ball bounces over his head, and cool. now he's a center back who's 30 yards out of position. Suarez can turn. Barcelona have a 3v2 at that point. And then the part that was especially 
interesting to me was Llorente then, to his credit, does sprint back, tries to get a position, the goal is scored, and then he proceeds to yell at the rest of the Sociedad defense, I think for not stepping, but when you leave them in a 3v2, I don't think there's a whole lot they can really do, so I'm going to say not great there, then for the second goal for Barcelona's second, uh, he lets Lionel Messi just kind of stand behind him and never checks to note that the uh, rest of his defense is about three yards behind him, so Llorente in effect because of that bad offside line doesn't really know where Lionel Messi is allows that ball in, which Messi then squares to Luis Suarez, rightly or wrongly. Uh, but I'm going to say Urante maybe could have done a slightly better job there in his uh, defensive duties. Yeah, he sounds like he needs an Arsenal transfer or something. Let's sign there this we guy go. up. There we go. Uh, sign him up. It'll all work out. It is always awkward when, when the, the player steps and the ball bounces just over his head. It feels very rec league, doesn't it? When you're it in really that does. Moment of stasis when the ball goes over your head and you're like, oh, no, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> you hate to see it at the professional <laughs> level. You really hate to see it. <laughs> you hate to see it, but then simultaneously, you just know, like, oh, that's not what was supposed to happen. I bet he's going to hear about that, and it does make it slightly more fun. Again, more fun for me than neutral, less so if you're a Sociedad fan, probably. Uh, yeah. any, anything else you'd like to talk about from, uh, from Spain, aside from that we've got a Clásico looming? Uh, just, a very, I suppose, very quickly, that Real Madrid getting the dramatic uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a winner at the end of their game with Valencia. Uh, equaliser, equaliser, but yes. Equaliser, sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. Coming, coming up for, Courtois coming up for the corner, which you love to see in a league game at this stage of the season. You absolutely love to see that. Gets a header saved on the line, and then there's a lovely goal mouth scramble, which uh, Benzema turns in for the last kick of the game. So we've got equal points going into this Clasico. It is poised nicely. Have you ever seen a goalkeeper score... A- a goal like like as you're watching the game not a highlight not a replay or something but has that ever happened in a game you were watching yes so uh my team wimbledon in mm-hmm. 1997 we knocked manchester united out of the fa cup and in injury time of the first leg peter schmeichel scored an overhead kick um which was ruled offside from a corner oh. what? The- <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> that's not fair i know it's not fair but i loved it Aww. but uh, i peter think Schmeichel it, deserves it- to score his overhead kicks I mean, VAR might have given it these days. This was 22 <laughs> years ago, and I loved it. But it was like, that was the ultimate ending to a game, Schmeichel with the overhead kick. But um, that, I, yeah, no, I, I was there in that stadium, but can't remember any other instances. That's what comes to my head. I don't think I've ever had one, and yet every time the goalkeeper goes up, I, I just assume something crazy is going to happen. Like It really never does. It always ends up with the other team, heads it clear, they kick it out, and then the final whistle goes. Mm. But I always have that moment of belief, like, this is going to be it. Goalie's going to score. I just need it to happen once, Ryan, in a game that I'm watching. <laughs> I, well, I'm I hope put, that comes for you. I'm putting that's that on your you Christmas now. gift this year, Taylor. That's, I mean, if it's not, then that's your fault uh, because you said you'd make it happen, I think. Yep, I'll, I'll, take, I'll accept those terms. Perfect, Very perfect. Well. Uh, I'm going to assume you also accept, accepted the results of Fiorentina Inter Milan. That was a clumsy one, but I got us there sort of. Uh, Fiorentina <laughs> won, Inter Milan uh, won. Uh, I don't have many thumbs for this one aside for thumbs down to uh, Skriniar for not learning from Man City and Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham cleaning out Adama Traore whenever they needed to to stop his sort of blistering counterattacking threat. Uh, Man City obviously famous for uh, picking up those professional fouls to make Make sure attacks don't happen in this one. Inter Milan winning until very, very late. Um, and essentially, Skriniar has an opportunity to bring down uh, Vlahovic, uh, the eventual equalizer, the goal scorer. But I think he tries to just sort of think, like, okay, I'm going to shepherd him away from goal. This won't be a threat. We'll see this game out. It'll all be fine. But he never makes enough aggressive contact. He never really puts Vlahovic under that much 
pressure, that much stress, so that he's able to eventually just kind of bury it from a very tight angle. Uh, say what you will about Samir Handanovic's uh, positioning for that one. But it just mm. going back and watching it again, it, it was just a moment screaming for, just give him a clip, take the yellow card. Yes, they're going to be mad. Yes, they're going to get in your face. But they're not going to score a goal. And that's kind of what you need at this point. Taylor Rockwell giving a thumbs down to a player because he tried to play football instead of uh, instead of a cynical foul. Hey, there we have it. Hey, That's where we we're are. Trying to be practical. We're trying to be practical here, Ryan Bailey. We're trying to be practical. <laughs> oh, you got to give you got to give a thumbs up to Vlovic in that mm-hmm. moment and in this game in general because that was a fantastic goal. Wasn't it really it? was. It wasn't really was. Again, from the tight angle, like and and I think a lot will be made of Handanovic hugging the near post and then maybe slipping and thus not being full extension. But like that that absolutely takes away from the the pinpoint clinicalness of that finish and how he just takes it uh, in stride at full speed, is able to hold off hold off a lack of challenge from Skriniar, uh, should have been a professional foul, uh, and instead finishes <laughs> really, really well and uh, and gives Fiorentina the point, which they yep. desperately needed. They're now uh, in 13th, uh, well out of the relegation zone, which is to say that uh, I think right now Brescia in 18th with 13 points, so four points clear, well done Fiorentina. Inter remain top of the table, uh, level on points with Juve, but yeah. a superior goal difference. Uh, so things remain tight. Lazio uh, falling off a little bit, uh, but still, still, we would expect it to be a, a, a tighter competition overall. I guess Lazio have a game in hand, so they could still close that gap. But yeah. right now, Inter ver- versus Juventus, uh, as we expected. Very much so. And Inter cutting their lead, aren't they, in the past few weeks? That draw at Rome uh, in Rome last mm-hmm. week, and uh, this one here too. It's, uh, it's t- certainly tight at the top, tighter than they would have liked. Um, and I think this is another one where it could have called um, the, the, the favourite team to drop points because this was a 3-3 draw back in February when they met. Um, Inter haven't won in their last five visits to Florence. So this is one way, yeah, I can see, I can see why this happened. Maybe when, they're crumbling under the pressure a little this bit. Is, this is a difficult one, Ryan, but, but a genuine question for you. Like, when is it... Because a lot of times I will have that sort of like, ah, whatever, history's history. Who kind of cares about what happened? But there does come a time when it feels like, oh, no, maybe this is their bogey team. This is the bogey fixture. This is the time mm. when they tend to drop points. And there are those moments when that does correlate, when that does actually happen. Do you have a sort of line or is there a thing for you like when it goes from like, yeah, who cares what they did in 1997 the last time they met? Like that sort of graphic of like, oh, they haven't played each other since 2004. And in that game, this team won. Like that's not going to determine what happens here versus when there is sort of a trend. I'm wondering when do you sort of look to that as like, okay, now this is an indicator of what may end up happening. Uh, some trends are stronger than others, obviously, and you have to look at if the if the circumstances were the same, if the managers were the same, if the players were generally the same. But my general rule is if it proves me right, then it was good. <laughs> well, uh, a thing that will also make you feel good uh, is uh, today's sponsor, our friends at Policy Genius. Uh, well done, Ryan. It's already December. Uh, it's very much December. As much as we love getting seasonal this month can be a bit stressful. That is definitely true. Uh, there's a long list of things to do for the holidays. If life insurance is one of those things, uh, uh, way down on your list, but is very stressful, the stressful things tend to get pushed down. Funny how the fun things tend to stay on the top of the list. Policy Genius might be able to help you cross it off they'll find you the right uh, life insurance at the best price and do all the work to help get you covered yes indeedy policy genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze in minutes you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price you could say fifteen hundred dollary dues or more a year dollary dues so that's what they call them in australia isn't it us See, there we go and, more, <laughs> and you can do that but you can this say that much everyone thinks you. ryan is australian right here he talks <laughs> oh, about mate. dingoes constantly 
Right, I'm just going to throw another shrimp on the barbie and carry on See, talking about our policy genius, mate. Uh, <laughs> but genuinely, policy genius is one of those wonderful things because uh, in the United Kingdom where I'm from, not Australia, the United Kingdom, sure, these sure. sort of aggregators for insurance are very common. And they're very uncommon here. And policy genius is the only one I know of, in fact. And they're so useful because shopping for insurance of any kind mm-hmm. is so difficult in this it is. country. It is. And you don't appreciate how difficult it is until you've seen how easy it is elsewhere. So I'm glad that something like policy genius exists to make this a little bit less of a burden for those people out there. Uh, ag- agree entirely. And I would also add that if you are going to Australia or you're from Australia, uh, uh, people from there would know that I believe every animal in Australia exists to try to murder humanity. Uh, right. So you want policy genius on your side because there's there's spiders, there's scorpions, there's things in the sea. You can't really trust anything. Even koalas. I feel like koalas all carry the knives. Koalas want to hurt you. I know that. Oh, nice. I, think, oh. I think they're I think they're all very mean. But then I believe I'm correct in saying that eucalyptus acts as a sort of like downer for them, which is why they're all sort of very chill and mellow. But they're actually quite ill tempered if they haven't had their their daily dosage of eucalyptus. Mm. These are the things that policy genius somehow I guess protects you from. Uh, so if you need life insurance but aren't sure where to start, why not start at policygenius.com? It only takes a few minutes to find the right life insurance policy. Apply. Cross another thing off your to do list this holiday season. So with Policy Genius, when it comes to life insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you to our friends at Policy Genius. A link to them will be in the show notes. Ryan, uh, one more game to talk about. Then we've got Champions League draw. As we are wont to do, let's talk about Bayern Munich. We do sort of not want to always talk about them on the weekend review, but they sort of keep then doing very interesting (laughs) things week in, week out. Sometimes those interesting things are losing games they should obviously win and firing their coaches. Sometimes it is destroying an opponent 6-1. to uh, with an incredibly dominant performance. Uh, there could be a couple different recipients of some thumbs up in this one. Ryan, where are you going? Can I go a bit off off, off the wall here and do you a may. sideways thumb? Oh, I'm not sure about Hansi Flick. Okay. Because that yes, is a this fair is... way to be right now, yes. I think so, because uh, I, th- I think there's still a, 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 an amount of skepticism about him and his, uh, his mm-hmm. role so far with Bayern Munich. Yes, he had that tremendous start, but I think there's still a weakness in this team. And I don't think this game is any indicator of Bayern pushing on, because yes, it was a big result. But if you look at the form, once again, uh, we go back to that. This this game was a gimme for Bayern. Mm-hmm. They've beaten, they, before this, they'd beaten them 20 times in a row, Werder Bremen. Uh, you know, they. So you're saying that that is historically significant? Twenty times I think in a row. Twenty times in a row. That's <laughs> a pretty pretty convincing pattern. There. Yeah, I'd say so. I think you'd be shocked if that ended in these circumstances. Vertebrae not doing too well this season, and you know mm-hmm. they're pretty relegation threatened. They certainly more so now. Uh, they'd lost four of their last five games before coming into this one. All the signs pointed to Bayern racking up a nice big score in Bavaria and that they did but I just I I think I'm not I I don't think this relieves any pressure on Flick I don't think it does either necessarily I think that Bayern have sort of publicly stated they're not in for managers like Pochettino uh maybe says that they're going to stick with Flick and see what he will be able to do over the course of the next like month or so um and I think to their credit Bayern are sort of backing him in that he does have coaches around him he is being given at least like some control of the team uh, a mm-hmm. bit more than Freddie Lundberg is getting. But I think more than anything, it just seems like he has the the players potentially buying in or at least certain players buying in because you look at this performance from Felipe Coutinho and he's a player who heading into this season, I sort of thought of as like, yeah, yeah, he's fine. He's a, he's a very good player, but he is not this sort of next level performer that they seem to be marketing him as and seem to be sort of expecting people to buy into him being. And yet in this game, a hat trick, two assists, 
uh, just involved in really every single goal aside from one, and that goal itself was especially impressive. But yeah. even in the final goal, I was like, oh, okay, so he gets two goals to assist. He's involved in four of the six. That's pretty good because he's not even uh, on screen, I think, when the play is developing. Then he gets the ball, cuts inside a little bit, bangs it off the post, scores the hat trick. And it's just like, oh, no, no, he's just involved in pretty much everything in this game. So at least Felipe Coutinho seems to be buying into it. I'm definitely giving him a thumbs up for uh, for this game for sure. Yeah, definitely. That, that last goal was the mirror image uh, Robin goal, wasn't it? Yes. It was the Coutinho goal. It was his trademark. <laughs> but also that chip. The chip mm-hmm. that sort of just grazed the underside of the crossbar oh, yeah. as it went in. Oh, bellissimo. I loved it. It was it was it was similar to Gosling for Bournemouth, except uh, Coutinho facing the right way the whole time. But and his, more intent behind it, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true because the way he is able to time his run perfectly to make sure he stays on side for a ball in for I believe David Alaba, but then the tight control and the sort of awareness of like. He has he has enough time to really think about it, which is the last thing you want if you're a striker. The longer you have to think about what you're going to do, the less I feel like you're moving off of instinct. And the way he sort of scans it all down really quickly and thinks, like, could bring it down, could try to pass it in, could volley it one time, could go for, like, a lob over the top, could try to... like, And he just kind of evaluates those options really, really quickly, lands on, will try to settle, and then flick it over the top, and does that within a half second, I mm. think shows how quick his decision-making is yeah. and maybe why he is such a good player uh if if not for Bayern then just generally speaking I think that's what separates us from the pros isn't it that kind of decision yes, making that absolutely. split second kind of thing it was genius and he had much like De Bruyne he had a perfect game this weekend mm-hmm. didn't he and it'd be interesting to see where he ends up next season it, it certainly will it certainly will um for Bayern Munich though I do want to give a thumbs up wait do you have speculation on where he'll go or do you are you just wondering aloud where what it might mean for him I'm just uh, like much like Ed Sheeran. I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to, in the meantime, say thumbs up to Bayern Munich for that fourth goal uh, because I love everything from Felipe Coutinho. I thought his goals were excellent. But this fourth goal, I, I just really, really enjoyed because it was sort of representative of who Bayern are at their core, which is very technical, very good, and very ruthless because it's yeah. a it's a loose ball. I think in Byron's half, it's probably 70 yards from the Bremen goal. It's picked up by Thomas Muller, who plays a – and, like, it's, it's – again, it's a hallmark of Bayern Munich that he picks up the ball. He's got runners ahead of him, lots of movement. He's able to play a long diagonal out to Perisic. Perisic collects uh, – plays it into Robert Lewandowski, who's now at the top of the 18. He lays it off to Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller then chips it back across for Robert Lewandowski to finish himself into the side netting. But it was four – Passes, I believe, between three players that went 70 yards and culminated in a lovely volleyed goal. And it, it just sort of felt like once Bayern are in that sort of next level gear, there's just no way to deal with them. And I think that's yeah. definitely what Werder Bremen experienced on the day. And it spoke well to Lewandowski's athleticism as well, isn't it? Because well, let's not yeah. forget, we, we say it time and time again, he's 50 years old, Lewandowski, and he's still bringing the ball down like that and putting those volleys away. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> Wonderful stuff indeed. Uh, for Bayern Munich, it takes them into fifth. Uh, Leipzig uh, take top of the table. Uh, Gladbach losing on the weekend. Leipzig doing the opposite of that means that they are now top of the table with 33 points. Uh, Gladbach second, 31. Dortmund third with 29. Schalke rounding it out with 28. Uh, Schalke, for their part, getting a one no win over Eintracht Frankfurt, but they do lose Weston McKinney. Uh, last I saw, it was believed that he was had a separated shoulder, uh, so or at least a dislocated shoulder. So he, we would ex- 
suspect he'll be out for at least a little little bit of time. Not a great weekend overall for uh, Americans in Europe. I tweeted that. People weren't so thrilled, but it was definitely a downer of a weekend. So let's instead, Ryan, not talk about that. Let's talk about the Champions League. But first, let's talk about uh, one story that you spotted that I, I, I particularly enjoyed. It's, it's a good reminder to people that apparently playing chess means that you'll be good at stuff. It's not often that we talk about Norwegian chess masters on the it's Total really Soccer not. Show, is it's it? It's really we, not. We have cause to. Uh, chess champion, the chess master, I should say. I a grandmaster. Mm-hmm. What makes a grandmaster? That's a good question. We should look into that. Have, have, have the boy look into that. Taylor. I would say you have to have a beard, but, uh, <laughs> but this gentleman does not. I will have the boy look into that. <laughs> I love you, Have Ryan. the boy look into that. <laughs> um, chess champion Magnus Carlsen, which is a very uh, Scandi name. I like yep. that. Uh, he's, he's at the top. He's number one on the official FPL game. Number one in the world, ahead of millions of people. Um, and he is the Grandmaster Chess Champion. He said he got there through luck. Wow. I don't believe him. I wish I had that kind of luck, frankly. Yeah. And by oh. the way, the second place person who could overtake him after the uh, after the Premier League game uh, today at the time of recording on Monday... Um, is a former is a former player, uh, Nick Tanner, who played yeah. for Bristol Rovers and Liverpool, <laughs> whose name is Win or Lose on the Booze. So Win or Lose on the Booze could take over a Grandmaster of Chess at the very, very peak of FPL. What is happening? I mean, I, f- I feel bad for this, but it is the case that, like, Nick Tanner with that, with that team name, Win or Lose on the Booze, that one does feel a bit more like if he said he was there via luck, I would believe him versus the chess grandmaster with him. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's some sort of overarching sinister strategy that I couldn't possibly comprehend with my plebeian brain. But maybe it is just a little bit of luck. Maybe that's how fantasy goes. Or maybe it's just make Mohamed Salah uh, your captain and put as many Liverpool players into your team as you can. And you'll yeah, do and no fine. Arsenal players. I think and no Arsenal well. players. <laughs> well, speaking of no Arsenal players, or at least none that I can think of, <laughs> let's talk about the round of the 16, round of 16 nice. of the Champions League. Um, the draw has happened. Uh, I'll run through it very quickly, and then we can spotlight a couple if we so choose. Uh, we've got Borussia Dortmund versus uh, PSG. Real Madrid versus Man City. That's kind of a big one. Atalanta versus Valencia. Somehow both teams happy with that draw, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Atletico Madrid v. Liverpool. Chelsea, Bayern Munich. Lyon, Juventus. Tottenham, Leipzig. Napoli, Barcelona. Of those uh, eight fixtures, Ryan, which one are you most excited to see? Woof, woof. Uh, can I say, first of all, this is a great draw, isn't it? It really I mean, is. I mean, it is a result of only European top five leagues being involved anymore. Well, and that's that. probably indicative of the power and the all the nonsense that goes along with top, uh, top draw soccer these days. But mm-hmm. my, I think my theme I'd like to pick out is that there's a lot of trouble ahead for English teams. Yes. Each English team has a tricky draw. I mean, may, perhaps no trickier. I think maybe the highlight here is Liverpool, Atletico Madrid. That's neither team. That's probably the worst draw for both teams in that game, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think it probably is because Atleti struggling uh, this season to kind of implement their new style, but mm. still Atletico Madrid, still Diego Simeone, and and also the sort of team that we've seen in the past be not as good in the league as they're trying to figure things out, but the Champions League is that animal where you can sort of plan for it, you can prep for it, you can rest players, especially if you're not in a title challenge and you're really kind of putting your emphasis on the Champions League. You can be very prepared for that against a team like Liverpool, who... Certainly have that gap at the top of the Premier League, but have to kind of spread their resources around. Can't really afford to just buckle down and focus on that one game entirely. So 
just for those uh, components combined with the star talent, uh, obviously, that will be on offer, that definitely is one uh, that stands out. And yeah, and then to your point, they really do have a tricky route, do the English clubs, because we've talked previously about Leipzig and how they could be a, a bogey team or a team that people overlook and don't quite realize how good they are, how tenacious yep. they're going to be in that press. It's going to be against Mourinho's Tottenham, who are probably going to be sitting in a little bit as we saw them do this weekend, um, against teams that kind of go at you and have more of the ball. That's a definitely an option but could be a tricky one and then madrid man city get out of here that's that's craziness that's a crazy draw <laughs> that's great i think that's probably the box office one isn't mm-hmm. it this is pep guardiola and zanini Zidane both trying to win this competition without yep. messi and ronaldo respectively both probably panicking at that prospect but i mean i kind of didn't think about that element of it well done yeah. Ryan bailey well done sir that's fun isn't it i mean th- i mean finally real madrid uh, sorry man city mm-hmm. in a cup competition get drawn against a difficult team it seems like they i thought they'd get like i don't know preston in this draw <laughs> but they, they they managed to actually draw, draw a big team at this stage of the draw so that that's good that the uh, the gods have looked upon them that way and i think mm-hmm. real madrid aren't perfect at the moment they got a good chance and obviously pep's got a bit of history at the bernabeu i think this could be a really really interesting draw Man City are still favourites to win the whole competition. I checked the uh, I checked the bookies' hmm. odds earlier this morning, so they obviously fancy uh, fancy them to get through that one. And I think, uh, the, as you mentioned, Tottenham RB Leipzig. That's very people like Tottenham fans saying, "Yeah, that's the best draw we could have had." I think uh, you could argue that Valencia might have been uh, more better, better suited to yeah. Tottenham, but that that's really difficult. I think. And imagine so the, the Timo Werner led attack against that pretty porous Tottenham backline. Mm-hmm. That could be big trouble. And Mourinho is going to have to draw on all of his experience. To, uh, to get Tottenham through that, which he, he may do so. And the other one, which I think is a bit of a stinger, is uh, the, other, the other English team, Chelsea mm-hmm. against Bayern Munich. Right. Uh, everyone's saying, oh, 2012 will be fine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the second leg is at the Allianz Arena. I don't think that's going to be very easy. And looking at, as we mentioned earlier in the show, the Chelsea backline against yep. Lewandowski's of the Lewandowski's uh, and such, that's not going to be easy. That's not going to be easy at all. No, and that, and that is the sort of like that 2012, oh, we did it then. Like that's the type of thing that I'm talking about where it's like, yeah, that doesn't really resonate with me in 2019 so much. And the fact that this game will be played in 2020, it's even more time. So I don't think you can look at that as like a trend, more so a thing that happened once in history. Whereas mm-hmm. I think by February, maybe we'll see a stronger Chelsea team that maybe they'll invest a little bit and they'll have a bit more depth. But the same could be said of Bayern Munich. Maybe they too will invest. Maybe they too will strengthen a little bit. Maybe they'll have stuck with Hansi Flick and it will all be running smoothly. But even if it's not, as we saw this weekend, they are capable of turning it on and getting those six goals. So I do think Chelsea have their work cut out for them. So too do really, you're right, every other uh, English team. Uh, I'm going to guess Barcelona pleased with their draw. Uh, (laughs) Napoli struggling, sacked Carlo Ancelotti. So you wouldn't say that they're as dominant a threat as they might have been. PSG Dortmund, that feels like another game that could be very interesting, but could also be a blowout either way. And I That's wouldn't got be some that goals surprised. in it, isn't it? It definitely, definitely does. Uh, and then Atalanta-Valencia, I have less to say because I really can't claim to be so familiar with Atalanta. But uh, yeah, sure, why not? That could be a sneaky, really good tie, I think, Atalanta-Valencia. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Atalanta's work rate's great. They, they, they've got a good press. They work really hard. And Valencia, we know, a very quality team, as we saw at the weekend. I think that could be a, a pretty exciting... I, don't, I just don't see a dud here. I don't see a dud in... I mean, mm-hmm. maybe Leon Juventus. I, I'm not... Maybe that'll be my least appointment viewing of the whole one. And then, we, we had uh, Sam Tai, whom I know, I know you enjoy, uh, even if he's entirely too tall. We had him on the show last week. <laughs> uh, and he was saying that he's Leon so could be... 
He's like six. I think he's only like six three or six four. But he's absurdly he tall. He was also wearing like he was also wearing shoes that I think gave him another inch. So that yeah, he just he stood he stood tall. He stood His tall hair gives him another couple as well. Also that yeah, he's got the Dolph Lundgren sort of blonde semi flat top. Yeah. I, he will not love any way that I'm describing him, and I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> but he did speculate that Lyon could be a particularly tricky team. They could be the sort of uh, team that you want to avoid because they're easy to overlook but have a lot of talent. Yeah. And given uh, like the season for Juventus in that they're still second, still having a strong season, but aren't quite hitting those those marks that they met in seasons past, uh, that's another one. So yeah, I think what it all comes down to, as you said, is that it's a lot of very uh, good teams drawn against each other and very exciting fixtures as a result. None that we would really say like, oh, well, that one's over, done and dusted before it even starts, which is a nice thing to get uh, in the round of 16. Yeah, definitely. And Leon were pretty good in the group stage, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Was it was it Atleti they beat in the group stage? They, I think they, so. they got They got a big scalp, didn't they? So I, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't write off them by any means. Well, there we are. All right. Well, we will be back uh, to talk, I'm certain, about some Champions League uh, as well as some other leagues next week. Uh, But for now, Ryan Bailey, anything else before we close it out? That's all. I'm just going to go practice my chess because it will make me better at Fantasy League. I believe that is correct. Uh, Or or go play for Liverpool and uh, I forget who it was. Bristol? Bristol City? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Bristol Rovers. Rovers, Excuse me. Oh, that could be trouble. Uh, Yeah, go play for them. Either way, you'll be first or second. (laughs) <laughs> win or lose something about booze there we go <laughs> alright uh, well Ryan thank you very much as always always a pleasure to chat with you uh, now go and do the many many other things that you have to do today I shall do always a pleasure never a chore thank you Tay Tay <laughs> 